0: Welcome to another edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 759. I'm Kevin Coulson.
1: I'm George Conger. Today is September 13th, 2022.
0: All right, welcome to another episode. We are glad you could join us, but A lot of you are new here, and the new people we are going to help you out. Uh, If you have not subscribed yet to our show, please go to YouTube, you click on that little red rectangle, up pops the yellow bell, you'll click on the bell and you'll be instantly notified every time there's a new episode of Anglican Unscripted. And if you would like to participate in the show, and every one of you can, you go to the comment section and you give us your comments and your thoughts on some of the news topics that we talk about. Or you can give us story ideas as well. And uh, there's a lot of good stories, uh, ideas out there, George. George, how are you doing this week?
1: I'm happy but exhausted. I'm happy uh, because I do what I love to do. And I've got so much of it to do, it's wearing me out. It's a good, it's a good feeling uh, after some of the inactivity during the COVID times, when people weren't here, when you couldn't go and do things i um, stepping back into the constant hum of a uh, life of an active and busy parish. In
0: the, P- yeah, we've been here in the Pittsburgh area for about three weeks now, and we've been visiting different churches. One church was going to have a great big picnic last week. Another church is starting a capital campaign. And it's nice to see in post-COVID times, churches are getting back to being a church being back to serving the community and and trying to to fill the pews so people can worship Uh, it's not perfect yet some people are still that mindset that i'm just not ready to go back to church or i you know they they lost that sunday feeling is what i say george
1: do you have that yeah they've kept oh yeah definitely i would say we still have a quarter of our our parishioners on the books who have lost the habit of going to church uh-huh. Um I don't wish to be judgmental, but sometimes when I talk to them, they say, "Yeah, I know I want to come back, but you, I've you know, we, we've got a new routine now. We go out to breakfast on Sunday, we play golf, we do stuff with our friends. Yeah, we're coming back, yeah, We still consider ourselves members and Christians, but they've just a two-year break, really for them, has been a break with the past. So we're working to bring them back into the fold.
0: And uh, if you guys have any ideas how to bring people back to your church, uh, I think like ninety-nine point nine nine percent of the audiences involved in church in one way or, or another uh, put that in the comments. It's a great opportunity to to finally get into our comment section, which many of you have not done so yet. Let's move on to our stories, George. Oh boy, your favorite topic and in mine, uh, Indian corruption. Now we. It happens every week, it happens all the time. And so it's not something that we regularly report on the show unless it hits big. And this Indian corruption has hit big because it's hit both provinces, uh, people who were about to go to Lambeth and got arrested and who came back from Lambeth and got arrested. So let's do the story here, George.
1: Well, we reported last month that the moderator of the Church of South India moderator is akin to the archbishop was arrested as he was about to leave the country on corruption charges by the police and he was unable to attend lambeth and he is uh facing serious jail time for theft and of church assets selling church properties pocketing the money selling admissions to church medical schools all the sorts of dirty stuff a uh, a bishop can get up to Well, the moderator of the Church of North India, the other Anglican church province in the Republic of India, was arrested as he returned from the Lambeth Conference. He was on vacation in Europe for a few weeks, and when he got back this past week, when he got off the airplane, he was arrested and has been in jail for four days. He'll be bailed out soon. Last week, as he was flying back, Indian, Indian... tax and uh, the federal police raided his home and office and they found over a hundred thousand dollars of undeclared cash in the Indian equivalent of rupees, millions of rupees, plus about eighteen thousand dollars in US cash, a few thousand pounds, a few thousand euros, all undeclared. And this has turned into a political show as well because the local politicians are saying, aha, He's using this money that he's stealing to convert Hindus into to Christianity. He's using the money to pay people to become Christians, yeah. and that's a recurring theme in India. Several states have anti-conversion laws, where you're, where if you offer money to people to become a different religion, you could get arrested. Now, of course, I can almost guarantee you that this. The secret (laughs) cash has nothing to do with converting Dalits to Christianity, untouchables to Christianity. It has to do with a bishop stealing, selling church properties, selling school places, pocketing money. And now we're in a unique position where the moderators of both North India and South India are under active criminal investigation by the federal Indian government for tax evasion, money laundering, uh, forgery, fraud, totally unrelated cases, but they're both facing serious jail time. And by the way, the moderator of the Church of North India was asked to give some talks the Lambeth Conference on Development. So I think uh, if if you steal one out of three dollars coming into your church coffers, you can develop your own income pretty nicely. Thank you.
0: Well, Uh, no. Uh, we, we, we we, we're
1: kinda, jokey,
0: but the corruption. Yeah. In the Church of the India. Corruption and, is. Yeah, well, uh, if people don't know, we're having a little delay going back and forth with our microphones and, and, and uh, webcasting right now. Because for some reason, T-Mobile is slow today. It, it is what it is. Um, but corruption in India and other cultures is baked into the society. You know, when they hear about it, they, they, they're like, oh, corruption in the church. They're used to corruption stories in the police, in the government, uh, in your local schools, and especially now in the church. It's not something new that's happened in India. I remember the corruption stories from Egypt and all across the Middle East and um, other parts of Asia. It, it's baked into the society, and the church should be there to unbake it. To remove it from the society to be above reproach and it's not it's sad to be uh, watching another time the church has adopted the culture
1: yeah and we've reported recent cases of corruption in Africa in uh, Malawi in Zimbabwe in South Africa uh, in um, in Sierra Leone uh, Corruption is part of the culture, the business culture, the uh, leadership culture in parts of Africa. And we've reported extensively on corruption in uh, the Anglican churches and the Episcopal churches of Mexico and Central and South America. Mm -hmm. Um, Corruption, uh, and here's the thing, we have Lambeth conferences where we have all these great and good topics to talk about, but we don't really address the things that are really, really important major in the life of the church, and that is mm-hmm. corruption. Uh, and it's not a, one of the difficult things is that it's not a black and white case where all the corrupt people are in a certain camp. No. One of the original GAFCON primates, Valentin Mokiwa of Tanzania, was eventually tossed out for corruption. Some of the strongest people on uh, human sexuality from Central Africa for instance are dirty. In other words they have the right theology on this but the wrong practice on that and part of the problem that the conservative movements have had is that they really do not want to get in bed with these dirty fellows but at certain times they need their votes and it's just a different and and then of course we have the corruption coming where money sent from the united states in america will buy and shape votes in the developing world and amongst the church
0: yeah shape votes or promote uh people to bishop elect that you would never thought would be a bishop elect and then bishop and then archbishop it money is uh always corrupting it will always be corrupting within the church and society but the church is told to be separate from that. Uh, it is instructed to walk it, away what, from that type of corruption.
1: One of the things I really want to stress is that there are certain provinces that have gone out of their way to be squeaky clean. Uh-huh. I can think of Uganda in particular where Uganda has no problem with there's even a whiff of financial or moral corruption. They act quickly. They even uh, This, you know, the former primate was uh, was found to have committed adultery. They didn't cover it up. They didn't tell George and Kevin go away, be quiet. They told George and Kevin essentially before they told the rest of the country, because they felt transparency and honesty and biblical fidelity trumped political considerations. So, no matter currently, no matter how much much it hurt, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. and it did hurt. It did. It's. Direct, I mean, Africa has a very different culture of leadership than the United States, and part of the African culture is what they call the big man culture. At the big man at the top, you just don't criticize or mess with him. And when you criticize the big man, even if he's the former primate, you are breaking the cultural norms. And the Church of Uganda has uh, put Christ uh, ahead of culture. If only the American church would do that. Oh, George, you wish so big.
0: You get this big wish list for, for the Episcopal church and uh, a repentance for the, the Canadian church. And I come back to the fold for the Scottish church. No, I, I agree. I mean, there, there is corruption, and then there's violence, George. Next story we're moving on to. Uh, we cover many different types of violence on the show. Gun violence never covered sword violence, certainly cultural violence, riot violence, violence in the streets uh, we've covered. Now we're going to cover some knife violence. Uh, George, I've been glued to uh, watching the, the Queen's uh, news out of Britain all week. You told me that there's a story out of Canada. I had no idea, but bring us up to speed, please.
1: Well, in Saskatchewan, uh, there was a, uh, a murder spree. Two brothers, uh, uh, you call them Native Americans or Indians or First Nations people, however you wish to describe it, mm-hmm. f- who lived on a reservation, went on a knife murder spree, and they killed about 8 to 10 people and wounded another 12 to 15 people. Uh, they're now both dead. It's believed one brother killed the other brother, and then I think the, the final brother was killed in a shootout with the Mounties or something like that. But this was all knife murder violence. Uh, and part of the story is that the one brother who died last had 59 prior convictions, and he's in his early 20s, 59 prior excuse me, arrests for drugs and violence and this and that. And the Archbishop of Canterbury gave condolences and bemoaned knife violence. The bishops in Saskatchewan and Alberta had statements about, you know, knife violence and the problem of alcohol and drugs on reservations. Um, it's a terrible tragedy, but at the same t- and but there are now calls in England, for instance, to confiscate knives and register knives because they've taken all the guns away, but they still have violence in the cities. At a certain point, you have to say, you know, men are evil and corrupt and they're going to do what they're going to do. And if they don't kill with a uh, gun, they're going to kill with a knife. If they don't kill with a knife, they'll kill with a bomb. they'll it be like that guy who with a car ran down those people in a parade in Wisconsin uh, sure. killed six or six or eight people at a parade last winter um evil people will do what they are gonna do and it's not it, the it, it's not the knife it's not the gun it, it's not the car it's, not the, it's heart, the, the human knife. heart well, that's wicked and corrupt
0: it's it's the human well here it's it's the government that's wicked that starts this whole spark mm-hmm. i remember i grew up in northern wisconsin when i was in middle school in my, my early years and uh we lived right outside a reservation uh in polk county polk in indian word and uh, I remember many of the students in my school were Native American, ind- indigenous children. And I remember they were friends, we talked often, and none of their parents worked. Uh, mostly because they couldn't get a job, but also because they didn't have to get a job. They were stipend by the, the uh, American, the US dollar, the, uh, the federal government would stipend them uh, five or 600 bucks a month just to be on the reservation. And they would use that money to drink. And uh, Jonathan, mm. one of my friends uh, back at the time, his his uncle and his dad were drunk all the time, and they didn't have money for food because the money went to alcohol. And it was a sad thing to watch. Uh, a once great people, indigenous America, has been you know put on reservations and given money to stay there, and drink your hearts away. Um. And then we we see these state you know stories out of canada and other places indian. where this 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 hopelessness uh of these people who all they have is meth all they have is alcohol they have no hope in anything else george
1: indian policy in america and canada has been and across the americas mexico yeah. and down into south america and into brazil has been dreadful and it's been dreadful at different times and in different ways. Uh, oh, sure. The current policy is to give the worst of Western culture to the Indians, alcohol, leisure culture, no responsibility, and say, no, no, you can't evangelize them. No, you can't give them a moral uh, leave because that would be taking away their native customs. But we're happy to give them meth and alcohol and heroin and uh, freedom from work which will of course lead to the state that we have right now in past generations uh, we're going to make them little americans and little canadians and take away their culture but uh, basically starve them to death and drive them out of the drive them out of existence so i mean it 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 just goes from bad to worse to worse to worse different generations do different things uh to destroy as you say a once great people
0: all right how much money does it take to grow a church well the church of wales has found a hundred million dollars somewhere and they want to grow their wonderful great already large i assure you province will 100 million double it triple it how big a province can they be george i mean if i had a hundred million dollars i could make my province really really big
1: church in wales andy john the primate the archbishop at the last governing body meeting last week announced that they were going to spend a hundred million dollars hundred million pounds out of the church's principal this wasn't income they were going basically going to go into savings to use it to grow the church and everybody all clapped oh isn't this wonderful we'll see growth and opportunity problem is this hundred million pounds i am very confident will be totally wasted Uh, transgender wheelchair races uh, you know sharing mosquito nets in Carmarthenshire, you know uh, just because the leadership of the church in Wales doesn't understand uh, Jesus Christ they don't understand the Christian faith they understand political correctness they understand what's happening now but they have no sense or spiritual guidance. They're not Christians as I understand Christians to be, the bishops in the church in Wales, and they'll address money spent. I am very confident that the hundred million pounds will basically result in driving people faster away because the, the policies of the church in Wales have driven people away from their churches for the last 20, 30 years. And now they're going to have more money to enact more policies that have proven to be disastrous. So, this, if anything, will continue. To empty out the churches but still leave enough money to pay the bishops a lot on a very nice stipend for a little work.
0: Yeah, uh, to be quite honest and fair, the church doesn't need money. The church needs to stick with this mm-hmm. message. The, the church needs to understand the value of the good news and that alone will sustain and grow your church don't need buildings you don't need big candles you don't need huge crosses erected on the the lawn uh you need to stick to the message and stick to the teachings of the apostles and gather together to, uh, the breaking of the bread and uh reach out and help the widows and the orphans and be the church you don't need big buildings in a hundred million dollars a hundred million dollars george you're right it's gonna be wasted and, and fretted away and uh
1: Well, look, Those where are those places that are growing? Um, Look at South Sudan. Uh, As poor as poor could possibly be and yet the church, uh, I believe it's doubled in the past ten years in size and the clergy, many of them are unpaid for years at a time. They support themselves uh, and because they're on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not everybody is, of course, but Um, I'll I'll be vulgar and say my little church, you know, doubled in size before COVID over eight years And we didn't get a dime from the diocese or the national church Um, Money didn't grow the church, the Holy Spirit grew the church The openness and, and the desire to fulfill Christ's commission to bring the gospel to all nations To all people, to our neighbors, that grows the church and until there's a culture change or a mind change and the Holy Spirit moving in the hearts of these bishops and leaders in the Church in Wales, they're just gonna enrich some consultants okay. with this hundred million pounds. In fact, we were talking about the show. In my humble opinion, that- <laughs> my <un-humble> opinion. My
0: <laughs> I would like to be a woke consultant for the Church of Wales. Now, I- I'm going to give you a discount. My hourly rate to be a woke consultant for the church is $5,000 an hour. Kevin, that's all you're going to charge? That's all I would charge is $5,000 an hour with a retainer of a guaranteed 100 hours. And that's not going to. That's a, a mm-hmm. fraction of the $100 million. And you would come out so much better having me uh, visit Ireland, not wait, Ireland, visit Wales uh, for such a wonderful period of time. And I get to meet the new prince and princess, I hope. Well, George, we beat that story to death, (laughs) yeah.
1: Well, actually, Kevin, I think if they invested that hundred million pounds in Ireland, the church world would probably grow faster because all their bad programs will be dumped on the Irish, not on the Welsh.
0: All right, let's move on to one more story before we talk about the Queen. Holy Trinity Brompton uh, has decided that they cannot take a side on a position, a major position, uh, going on in the culture. And still succeed and i thought we could talk about that a little bit george they don't want to talk about sex hmm.
1: canon archie coates who succeeded nicky gumbel as the incumbent rector priest in charge of holy trinity brompton (HTB), the famous church where the alpha movement arose was interviewed by uh, premier christian uh, radio and the uh, interview was published on the 26th of August and in this Archie Coates who came from St. Peter's in Brighton and Brighton is sort of the Key West or the Castro district of uh, England uh, disproportionately high number of uh, professed homosexuals same-sex people live in Brighton Archie Coates was asked will he be uh, pursuing the gospel teachings on human sexuality and essentially he said I uh, We believe what we believe, but we're going to downplay. We're going to basically put this on the back burner because we want to keep people attractive and attracted to Holy Trinity Brompton and the alpha movement And this is my interpretation of what he's saying. If we really speak out on some christian issues uh, We'll just alienate people and it won't be good for our brand Now that that may be harsh it may be unkind And it's basically what Nicky Gumbel's position has been over the past ten years or so. You know, the Alpha movement at one time had been quite clear on homosexuality uh, as a sinful practice. Mm. And now it's, I know know, American Episcopal churches that are fully into the gay movement. Uh, All Saints in Beverly Hills, for instance, are really active in Alpha and they have a very large gay population in the congregation. Uh, because Alpha has dropped that as one of the issues. Um, is this the beginning of the end of Alpha? No, is this the beginning of the is this the beginning and end of Holy Trinity Brompton? No, but I think it is major disappointment that the soft evangelical, if you will, the Justin Welby side of the evangelical world has decided to seek popularity. Seek accommodation with the culture rather than be faithful to the unchanging word of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah,
1: I, so it's a disappointment, of, but it's not.
0: One of the things I've observed, even within you know the Orthodox Traditional Anglicans, is uh, I remember t- speaking in an interview to Archbishop uh, Duncan probably six or seven years ago, and he said, "We do want to keep the main thing, the main thing." You know we don't always want to sit at a press conference and answer these questions uh, about homosexuality or be thrown into a corner or be trapped in our answers we want to keep the main thing of this movement about the main thing and so i can see the desire to and especially in in britain not always be uh, posed the question so what do you think about blah and i I know Timothy Keller doesn't talk about it openly, uh, it, you know, to, to be oppositional. And it's just one of those things, George. How do we do it? Because it does need to be addressed. Eugene Peterson was the same way.
1: Well, we just have to see how uh, Archie Coates goes ahead and where HTB goes with this don't ask, don't tell policy. Um, it could be that this is a way to attract people. And then once they're in the door, you can properly catechize them and evangelize them. Uh, who, who knows? I'm, I don't want to be too quick. Uh, I can say I'm disappointed, but I can't be condemned. I can't condemn them because I'm not in their culture and not in their shoes, but I wouldn't take this approach. No. I think from the bigger picture, it uh, hurts things like the, uh, Global South Fellowship of Anglicans, GAFCON, the sort of international connections where those people who are natural allies who have an affinity with the traditionalist conservatives around the globe, um, they are basically going to take the opposite approach from the Global South. They're going into the Justin Welby, uh, unity, 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 let's paper over the cracks and uh, promote unity even though we're not united Uh, that's my fear that uh, this will set a bad this will start people down the wrong path
0: justin welby's fatal flaw was always to say i don't have an answer for that he would you know when a reporter asked what do you think about uh homosexuality and and the teachings of the church and our culture and he said i i just don't have an answer for that and, and if, Trinity Holy, if Holy Trinity Brompton says the same thing, that they don't have an answer for it, then we can be disappointed and, and be very disappointed. If they also start to raise the rainbow flag, it's okay to be disappointed. But if they're trying to find a way in a very vile environment that Britain offers uh, this topic to bring people into the church and let the Holy Spirit uh, do his work, uh, i'll give you a little bit of a little bit of leeway but not much so all right final story george (laughs) oh final story the queen oh so uh the uh queen elizabeth has died we in the next heartbeat we had king charles iii and it's a big topic because she was the supreme Uh, guardian of the church. He has become the supreme guardian of the church. In his first speech as king, he said he would uh, protect the church. So, we should talk about that, George.
1: Yeah, this is a seismic event in Mm -hmm. British cultural life, in their psyche. Uh, You know, the queen had to die one day, but when she eventually did die, it still came as a massive shock. Um... The only thing we're we're outsiders. We don't we're pretend colored. to understand. We don't pretend to share or understand mm. what's going on. But I liken it to the. I moved to England basically the week after Diana died in a car accident, and wow. I saw a degree of, per, and there was personal bereavement mm. following Diana's death, and now I'm seeing that same sense. Many people have a sense of personal loss with the Queen. And I don't think it's because she just lasted 70 years. Um, uh, Franz Joseph of of Austria lasted 68 years, but he wasn't as beloved as Queen Elizabeth was. But I think it's because she was a constant uh, center in an ever-changing world where Britain went from a global empire all the way into a member of the EU and now back out the door again. She was always reassuring, always optimistic, Uh, she seemed she projected a sense of embracing all of her subjects and now that's gone so that can and it's also a link with the past of traditional England a great England uh, an England that held fast as the storms of the world surged around it that's over and now we have Charles and Charles has not had the reputation his mother has. That doesn't mean he can't grow into the office of king.
0: No. And I think one of the things you need to to really understand here is Queen Elizabeth is the last person of the greatest generation. When she died, we have lost that World War II generation. We have lost that generation that understands... To be a servant, the queen was a servant to her people, unlike any other monarch you would ever see. She understood her role completely different than uh, majesties and monarchs of the past, and in as such, her death represents the death of the greatest generation. Uh, you look at millennials and and other generations to follow, and you you got to be scratching your head, George, as to what's coming up, especially with with uh, with Charles.
1: Well, f- well, from my American perspective, and my family hasn't lived in England for about 400 years, so we're as far away from England uh, as it can be in, mm-hmm. in emotional attachment. But my sense of her was that uh, she projected strength and resilience, a Britain that was self-restrained, that was grounded in pragmatism, a Britain of tolerance and gentleness. And up against that we have, excuse me, the cool Britannia of the Tony Blair era, which Charles seems so fully to embrace, where self-restraint, pragmatism, gentleness, tolerance was changed for the church, was changed for what's happening now, mm-hmm. and jettisoning the old just because it's old. Um, I have talked to some of our English friends and some of them are very some are everyone is united in their admiration for Queen Elizabeth yes there's some nut jobs out there in the US and in England who are say obnoxious things at all times and in all places uh, Kevin and George being too but not on this issue uh, the The unanimous view of those English and Irish and Scots that I've talked to in the past week has been this is a great loss The view of going forward is very divided. Some are deeply pessimistic They don't think Charles is up to it. They think that Elizabeth was the last Christian monarch and Charles's flirtations with Gnosticism the rumors that he had secretly converted to Islam 20 years ago all that stuff um, that moral center that the Queen still provided in a society that was fast collapsing Charles is not going to be able to fill others have told me well you know everybody does silly things when they're young and Charles is no longer young and hopefully he, he's settled into, into uh, and that hopefully we can take his words at face value that it will protect the Protestant Reformed Church in England, he will be a moral guide and beacon. Let's hope.
0: Yeah, let's hope. Well, let's. I I hope that nobody judges me for the stuff I spouted in the nineteen nineties. You know, and that you know, I, I'm accepted as the the uh, uh, what you see is what you get, Kevin, and the what you see is what you get, George um yeah he, charles has at times got before a microphone uh and said some pretty stupid things um does, he and he's certainly not the stalwart uh stalwart that uh, the queen was so we'll have to see what happens if you're pessimistic about uh the future of the monarchy in in england i i could see that if you're optimistic i could see that as well it, but it's still week one of the new what,
1: monarchy. What? One of my friends said it really is unfortunate they didn't they've changed the uh, uh, rules governing who will become queen. So after after the current uh, is it Prince Louis the the, the Prince of Wales' uh, son, after his children, it will not be the oldest male but the oldest child. Okay. And one person told me it's a real shame that that wasn't applied to Queen Elizabeth's children because they say Queen Anne is the best of the royals. Uh, much, much more of a uh, in her mother's mold than the Prince Charles. So, yeah, but hey, I, I, I,
0: saw, I saw reviews and interviews and many biographies of all her children this week, and Anne sticks out. You know, you, she would make a, a good queen as well. Uh, now, we have a large English audience, uh, and it would be a great opportunity for you to go to the comment section and tell us what you think uh, about what's uh, certainly your memories of the Queen and what you think uh, are, are going to be the greatest challenges for uh, King Charles III. It's going to be an interesting time.
1: Uh, it will yeah. certainly
0: keep this program alive, George.
1: Yeah, and I think Kevin and I should say that, you know, we, are, we acknowledge we are foreigners. This is, we're commenting about somebody else's family. Mm-hmm. So we may have it completely backwards because we do not share the emotional Ties that uh, that many of the English viewers, Irish, Scotch, Welsh viewers share. With
0: well, the Queen. We, yeah, but we've seen comments on uh, Facebook, and Anglican, unscripted on YouTube already, where people have asked, "Well, Charles is an admitted adulterer, and he's now the head of the the Church Supreme, the the uh, Garter of it. What do we make of that?" And I think it's too 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 soon to say anything um, in regards to that, George. What do you think?
1: Well, he's he is, well, that, technically speaking, yes. But yes. technically speaking, no. Charles is, the, the, the monarch is the supreme governor of the Church of England, but that doesn't mean it's the head of the Church of England. Correct. Yep. Uh, Christ is the head of the Church of England, and the Church of England is governed by its synodical processes. So it's not the queen or the king, it's not the archbishops, it's not the bishops, it's the synod that governs the Church of England. So Charles human, in other words, Charles is a representative embodiment of the crown, which is an institution. He happens to be a flawed human being of which we are all flawed human beings. His personal flaws from a, from a public relations perspective hurt the monarchy, hurt the crown. But from a legal and traditional and historical perspective, they have no bearing whatsoever on the crown, because the crown is greater than Charles.
0: Oh, absolutely! In fact, uh, Charles. As, is so I,
1: so I, so I, <laughs> Floridian uh, with no personal uh, ties to this would say.
0: Yeah, and as a, a nomadic person with no no home right now, uh, I would say as well. You know, Charles has the life the beginnings of a life of a great biblical character okay and uh, most biblical characters start out horrid and finish strong and we we pray the same for uh, King Charles the third all right George have we talked this uh, topic out we get a lot of comments you guys don't know what you're talking about you're right we don't live there (laughs) so what do you think George we we up we down what's going on
1: <clears throat> well, the only thing we left off our list was the Diocese of the Southern Cross is doubled in size.
0: That did take long. Well, give us the news.
1: Did uh, yeah, uh, Peter Judge Mears, uh, Rector or Vicar of St. John's Wishart in the Diocese of Brisbane, is now the second priest to join this dio- the new diocese uh, led by Glenn Davies. And I expect there'll be more parishes across Australia and in Brisbane that will join the non-geographic traditional Anglican diocese in that country. All right. I'm Kevin Carlson. And I'm George Conger, and you've been watching episode 759 of Anglican Unscripted.